0: All right, so kids can head to Reach Kids now. All right, off we go. All right, so uh, we are starting a new series this week. A new series, and uh, you might have received some, uh, some emails about it. We are starting a series in Galatians, in the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. Now, the title of this sermon series throughout Uh, taken from this first chapter is astonished, astonished, and holistically that is what Paul felt when he was writing this letter, that he was astonished about the Galatians. Now he wasn't astonished by their, their amazing faith, he wasn't astonished by their falling into sin, he was astonished by the fact that they had abandoned the gospel so readily, that they'd received it with joy, that they'd received the grace of Jesus' The, the sacrifice of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. And yet, here they are, a short time later, embracing a gospel of slavery and the burden of the law and guilt and shame. And he's astonished that they would, they would even compare the two. Nonetheless, run after a gospel that's going to make them a slave again to the law. Now, this is, a, this is kind of a, a particular iteration of what this looked like in the Galatian church, but this is the reality of the Christian life, that you can receive the gospel, and we receive it with joy in all of the grace and fullness, and we can then replace it with this kind of slavery back to the law, and all the joy and all the delight of the Christian life is just sapped right out of it, and we're right back where we started. So this whist letter, it's it's meant to to wake us up to that reality, to show us the gospel once again, that it is the work of Jesus, it is not our own work, it is not the law that we love and delight in, it is Jesus Christ and his work. That's going to be the focus of this whole series, we're going to be pointed back to Jesus again and again and again. So today, this is just an introduction, just to get us kind of, our heads wrapped around what Paul's talking about in this letter so we can understand it in the future, but uh we're going to see the gospel message. We're going to see what the gospel is. Then, second, we're going to see another gospel, a different gospel that is offered to the Galatians that they have embraced. And finally, we're, we're going to see what we're supposed to do with those who bring us false gospels, other gospels, the gospel that is anything but, but Jesus, anything but grace, anything but faith. So with that in mind, let's, let's turn to Galatians 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 9 today. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now, it should be up there. If you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, you'll have to wait for me to get there. Uh, It's on page uh, 972. 972. This is Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter. We thank you that you have not left us to, to lose the gospel of Jesus. And that this letter, probably more than other ones, has, has called us back. And so, Father, I ask that today and for the rest of this series that we would delight in the gospel, that we'd be astonished by not our lack of faith and not our lack of perseverance of the gospel, but astonished by the gospel itself. Father, would you help us to see it in all of its fullness, in all of its glory, that Jesus has done the work, that we have nothing left to do, that it's the end. It's the end of the law. The cross is the end of the law. Father, would you help us to see that, that we may live with joy, that we may not go back to slavery. Father, help us, give us your spirit, change our hearts, and draw us back to Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to start with Paul's articulation of just the gospel itself, the real and true gospel. Now, Paul starts his his letter kind of in the normal way, maybe a little bit more aggressively, though. Uh, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. We'll talk about that phrase. He uses that very intentionally. He's going to get into that later in the letter. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches of Galatia, these two words are most important, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now what is this? This is the gospel. This is the gospel right here. And what Paul is doing, this is a, this is a proclamation. So he's, this is not Paul just saying like, hey, like, how are you? I hope you have a nice day. This is... He's bestowing upon them grace and peace. As a representative of God, he is saying that, you know, I have a message from God, and it is grace and it is peace to you. And my presence in coming to you and bestowing that grace and peace. That he has authority to proclaim that because he knows that that is true in Jesus Christ. That grace and peace are declared from God. Now, first grace. Alright, what is grace? Grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. The opposite of what you deserve. So, how does grace work as we relate to God? Alright, you deserve death, and yet what does God give you? God gives you eternal life. You deserve total rejection of god by God for your sins. And what do you get? You get a complete embrace as a son and daughter of God himself. You deserve to be punished forever for your sins. Instead, you are delighted and you will get eternal joy and peace forever and ever, eternally in heaven. What you deserve, the opposite of what you deserve, that is declared by Paul. And he's saying that that is the gospel, that is what's true of you. You didn't earn that. You actually earn the opposite. And yet you have, you've been given this in God by Jesus. All right. That's grace. And then he says this other thing, peace. Now we talked about the war that we are in with God uh, last week. We talked about conflict and how in our sin and our idolatry and our adultery, we'd rejected God, we'd kind of committed war with him, And here is Paul saying, you know what, in spite of all of that, there is peace. Peace with God. That he has removed all of the tension, he has removed all of the fault, and now you are in perfect harmony with him. Perfect relational purity. You have nothing to fear before him. You have no reason to run from him. You have peace. Now normally, normally Paul just kind of throws that out there. And he says, like, grace and peace to you from God, and then he moves on. All right, this time he doesn't move on. He explains it a little bit more because the Galatian church had abandoned this reality. And so he's taking them back, and he's saying, okay, how did this happen? How did this happen? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, that he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. This is the gospel. That God was able to give us grace and peace because Jesus gave himself on the cross. And Jesus didn't get grace. He got the He got the in some sense, he got the opposite of what he deserved, but in the negative sense. He deserved the eternal life. He deserved the glory. He deserved the, the acclaim and the praise and the pleasure. But instead, he took the sin, he took the rejection, he took the justice and judgment of God for us. He gave himself for our sins. And the only reason we have peace with God is because God made war with Jesus Christ on the cross. That the Father rejected the Son, and he died in our place, he took the punishment. That is the gospel of Jesus. That is the gospel that Paul comes to proclaim. And just to remind us, he says that that is according to the will of God and and Father. It's not according to, to our will. We didn't make that happen. We didn't decide that that should be the case. That God himself decided to do this, independent of you and me. And therefore it says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He gets the glory because he did it. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. We didn't do it. This is the work of God. That is the gospel. That you are, you are to live a life now just basking in the peace and the grace that has been bestowed upon you in Jesus. Now, Paul had already preached that gospel to the Galatians. He had already preached it to them, and they'd received it with joy. And they delighted in it and been astonished by it. That how could could Jesus Christ do this so that we have nothing left to do? And they were saved without any knowledge of the law, any knowledge of the rituals behind uh, Judaism, They didn't know the history of the Old Testament. They didn't need any of that. What did they need? They didn't need nothing but Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2:2, Paul came to give them, to know nothing among them but Christ and him crucified. Because these were Gentile people, they didn't know anything. All they knew is that they, they were sinners in some sense before God, and they found that there was grace in Jesus. They weren't saved by the law, they were saved by faith. And they were saved by looking to the work of Jesus, not by their own works. That is the good news. That is the gospel, which means good news. It's good news because it means you don't have to save yourself. And you don't do the work. And you are not under the law, you don't have to please God, Jesus already did it all. You owe nothing to God. That's good news. And we we sang about that in in every single song, that that his unchanging grace would be upon us, that that he loves us and delights in us, that it's just grace upon grace upon grace. That is the gospel. And my hope is that as, as a Christian, you realize that that's, That's kind of the whole point. That's the whole point of being a Christian is believing this gospel. That Jesus has done it, that Jesus Christ is enough, that it's nothing but Jesus. That's why we're called Christians. Because we trust that Christ did it and we didn't. This message should be the the thing that gets you up every morning. That every time you sin, which is a lot, every day, that this is your one and only hope, that this is your the one thing sustaining you, the one reason you think you have any standing before God is because Jesus has already done it. This is the whole whole deal is right here. This whole Christianity is what Jesus has done on the cross, his death and resurrection. Now I know that it's really easy to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, not yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the whole point. Nothing but Jesus. All right. So Paul has laid out the gospel. This astonishing gospel that you don't have to do anything. And this is normally where he then goes into uh, this long, elaborate theological prayers. He doesn't do that this time. He goes straight to verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. All right, so he just laid out the gospel, he laid out how there is salvation in Jesus, how Jesus gave himself for our sins, how all the glory belongs to God, and then he's astonished because they have traded in that good news for this message of, of condemnation and slavery. A false gospel. And he says, this is a big deal. This is not, this is not a theological controversy. This is, this is their salvation on the line. This is the, the gospel, the most important thing, the one thing that sustains us, that gives us any hope. They've traded it in for something else. Now, this is where, this is where we need to uh, put on our history hats. Trust me, I hate history too. <laughs> Now, some of you love history, and I don't. So uh, you don't have to love this because it's historical. You don't have to love this because it's in the Bible. You just have to love it so that you understand the gospel. All right, so so I said that Paul came to, to give the Gentiles the gospel. These are people who don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything about the laws of God. They don't know anything about the rituals. They don't know anything about Israel and kings and prophets. But they didn't need any of that. They needed Jesus. And he gave it to them. And so Paul gave it to them, and then he left. And in comes this second group of teachers who were Jewish. And they said, hey, it's it's great that you've received Jesus. It's great that you're on on our side now. We're all on the same team. But you know what? You've missed some stuff. And, you know, what? we have 2,000 years, thousands of years of great history and of following God. And, you know, what? we've been doing these things, and you should do them too. They brought with them the law. All the rules. Now, there's three parts to the law. There's three parts to the law. Uh, first, there's the moral law. The moral law is like the Ten Commandment kind of stuff. The things that the thing that you'd say are like, okay, those are the rules. All right. Second, there's the civil law, which talked about how to be a nation. You know how kings are supposed to work, how land inheritance work, uh, the boring stuff that had to do with Israel. All right. Then there's the last one, which is the ceremonial stuff, which is all the rituals that kind of made you Jewish. Things like circumcision, all right, if we don't know what that is, your parents can explain it to you. Uh, Things like food laws, all right, don't blend your meat and your cheese, all right, no ham sandwiches with cheese, that's that's one of the rules. Things like ceremonial days, so the Passover and Yom Kippur, that kind of stuff. There's those three parts. And the, these Judaizers, these new teachers, they came in, and they said, well, no, you know, like, they picked one of them, and they said, well, how about you do some of the ceremonial stuff? We've been doing that for a long time. God commanded us to do it. And you, you need to do it, too, if you're going to be following this God. You need to be circumcised. You need to come come celebrate the, the Jewish holidays with us. You need to eat certain foods and then, then you'll be good with God. He's wanted you to do that for a long time. We've done it. You should do it too. All right. It sounds innocent enough. All right, they didn't come barging in the door and say like, you know what? Forget about Jesus. Here's the law. No, it was just like, hey, like this is good stuff. And this is going to help you. And this is going to make you right before God. He's asked for it for a long time, and so you should do it too. Paul is saying that that gospel, that doing those three things, circumcision, food, and some some holidays, was another gospel, and that that was rejecting Jesus and rejecting grace. and that, that would condemn them if they went down that path. Now, why is that the case? I think, I think some of us, we think, okay, we know, we know the answer, and we say, well, it's because it, in Acts they said that you don't have to do those things anymore. That that was a ceremonial law, and you're not supposed to do that anymore. Jesus already, Jesus already took care of that. All those were pointed to Jesus anyway. You just don't have to do it anymore. All right, that is wrong, actually. That's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, no, that, that's just expired stuff. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, uh, the ceremonial and the civil law don't apply anymore, but you still have to do the moral law. You still have to do the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, if you do the ceremonial law, then you're saying you have to do the whole law. And if you say you can do the whole law and that's going to save you, you are dead in the water, you are condemned. He's saying if you try to do one ounce of the law, one commandment, then this whole weight of the law is going to come down upon you and crush you. And now you're no longer under grace and the work of Jesus, you're under slavery and the law. Now, that's heavy stuff, and it it doesn't seem like that's how it should work. We think, well, oh, like, it's kind of some ritual stuff. Like, it'd probably be fun to celebrate Passover. No. Once you start introducing a single speck of law that says, well, this makes me righteous before God, you are dead. And you have condemned yourself, because then it's not nothing but Jesus. It's your righteousness. And every second you stand on your righteousness, you will be destroyed by it. You cannot do the law, and you will not do the law. And that's why I I want to—I want us to get this: that every moment that you think that you're not good enough because you failed that day, like that's a rejection of the gospel. Every time you say to Sarah yourself, like, oh, this makes me a better person, that's a rejection of the gospel. You don't stand in what you do, you stand in the gospel of Jesus. Every time you judge your day and say, like, oh, was I a Christian today? I don't know. Like, no, you're not a Christian by what you do, it's by your faith in Jesus Christ, what he has done for you. That's what Paul is saying here. And you introduce a speck of the law And suddenly this giant anvil is going to come down and crush you. You thought you were playing with it. It's it's not worth it. Now, what does Paul say? What does Paul say you're supposed to do with those other gospels, those hints of the law, the hints of trying to be righteous enough, going back to moral or civil or ceremonial law. He says, he says, let them be accursed. If anyone comes to you and tries to make you fulfill the law and be righteous before God, let them be accursed. Let them be condemned. Let them be judged. They can be the ones who are destroyed. They're not going to destroy you. Don't let them condemn you. Don't let them give you this false good news, this false hope. Let them be accursed and run. Verse 8. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. All right, it starts with a, a we. All right, so Paul, Paul is a Paul is a big deal. He's an apostle. He was was trusted with the, the gospel by Christ himself. He had a vision of the Lord. He was blinded and given sight. Like, there's this huge, amazing story of Paul. And what does Paul say? Even if I, if I come back to you and try to give you a gospel that has any law in it, any ounce of law, let me be accursed. Condemn me and kick me out of the church. Have nothing to do with me. All that authority I had was because of the gospel. It was because of nothing else. All right, you will have teachers and pastors and preachers who say they're giving you good news. And if they're saying earn any righteousness, let them be accursed. If, if you hear me say, well, no, you're, you're, not, you're not quite good enough. You need to prove yourself. Let me be a curse. That's the seriousness of this. Now, just so we have some context here, I tell you what to do a lot. And I, I give you laws and I give you commandments and we talk about them. All right, the reason I give you those commandments is has nothing to do with your salvation, has nothing to do with your righteousness and your standing before the Lord, if you go home and don't do them, but you're in Jesus, it doesn't matter. You're saved. You're saved. You're good. That's the gospel. Now, why do I tell you to do things? I tell you to do things so that you might have more joy, so that when you get to heaven, you're not made a fool of before the Lord and say, like, oh, like, I have no treasure. Like, sorry. And so that God gets the glory that we want to give him. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. And if you go do everything that I say, you will not be an ounce more righteous than the person next to you who never did anything but put their faith in Jesus. All right. I'm trying to help you believe the gospel and live out of it. Not attain some righteousness with God. All right, if an angel of heaven appears and gives to you a a gospel contrary to this, let them be accursed. All right, if you have a vision, if you have a dream, if a magician comes and tells you your horoscope and they say that you should should try harder, let them be accursed. All right, it is always and only grace. It is nothing but Jesus. Now, what does this look like? All right, if another Christian comes to you and they say, you know what, like, I don't think you're living right with Christ. I'm I'm not sure you're a Christian. Let them be accursed. And you say, you know what? It's not about what I do that makes me a Christian. It's my faith in Jesus. Now, if you're telling me to have more joy in Christ and to, to pursue the glory of Christ better, okay. But if you're telling me how to be righteous before God, then... No, it's, that's Jesus' job, not mine. All right, non Christians will come to you. And non-Christians, they, they like to tell you what Christians believe and what they're supposed to look like and what they're supposed to do. And well, Christians aren't supposed to, and well, I, I thought I thought a Christian didn't do that kind of thing. You know what? No, Christians are still supposed to sin. They sin and they're under grace. And there's, there's, there's no levels of like, well, no, you're not a good Christian. You're not a real Christian. like No, you're a sinner putting your faith in Jesus like everyone else. All right, your own emotions and experiences will speak to you. And they will come as messengers of the false gospel. And they'll come and say things like, you know what, you're not good enough. Or, like, you, a, a real Christian wouldn't do that. Or, you know what, you, you need to try harder. And, and prove, prove that, and, and get your way to heaven. Like, get your life together. Then you'll be able to call yourself a Christian. Right now, you're just a hypocrite. Like, those are lies. And those thoughts and those emotions... Those are not the gospel. Those things need to be accursed and condemned as lies from the pit of hell. All right, what does Satan do? Satan in the garden, what he, he whispers and he says, you know what, did God really say that? And he's asking that about the gospel. And he's saying, you know what, did God really say you didn't have to do anything? That can't be. Of course you have to do something. Did he really say that that you're full of grace and that like that salvation is guaranteed no that can't be All right everyone who imitates that lie that satanic message like no we fight it we condemn it and we get back to Jesus Now I do not want us to be the people that that Paul would be astonished of. That we would reject the gospel and choose to live under the law. I don't want us to be people who are astonished by the gospel itself. Who are shocked that it really means we don't have to do anything. Are shocked that it's only by faith, only by grace, only by the Spirit. So let's, let's live in the joy of that. Amen? Amen. That's what we're studying this, this, whole, uh, this whole letter is fighting to believe that. Maybe you don't believe that yet. Uh, I'm hoping we can, God will prove it to us in this letter. Questions? Questions? Leah? Um, it's a two part question. The first question is can you flesh out what accursed means? <laughs> uh, can, we, can I flesh out what accursed means? Uh, to be condemned, to be under the curse of God, to be utterly rejected? Meaning, no? Uh, no, not that. Uh, I wouldn't say that let them be accursed. I would say this is a human rejection, that you are utterly rejecting them and their gospel message. Uh, this is, this is, he's telling this to people who are receiving them. Alright, they are not to be received in, in any aspect. They are to be condemned and sent on their way. Now, please don't do that to non-Christians. They don't know any better. We don't, like, I can, but, like, you should, you should speak into that and be like, actually, like, and they don't even know the law, like, you're, like, drinking a beer, and they're like, whoa, a pastor's drinking a beer. Like You say, like, First of all, that's not a law. And second of all, like, I sin, and that's why I need Jesus. The call to be a Christian is not a call to be a perfect person. And I know a lot of you feel like you're like scared to, to ruin your witness and you stand before non-Christians. And you're like, oh, they're judging me. Like, yeah, you're going to sin. You're supposed to witness to Jesus, not to yourself. You're not amazing and perfect. Uh. Leah, (laughs) Leah, how's your uh, second question? Uh, So I understand that he is speaking to the church, not the leadership per se, but it also feels like capacity is about false teachers rather than false believers. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, is he saying that anyone who has fallen into this is a curse? No, he's calling them back. He's calling them back. And he's saying that, like, go back to the gospel you had before. Don't abandon it. Don't reject it. To make this mistake is, is something you repent of, and you, you go, back to, go back to faith in Jesus. Does that answer your question, Leah? You think so? Do you have a third question? Okay. All right. All right. Lisa. So I'm assuming that the second part of this is that we're not to live by the law, but the law is there for us because that brings us happiness and joy. In okay. Okay. And now it's not that, but when I say, you know, don't do this or don't do this, that's because that's going to bring blessing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so you're asking the question, Lisa, of uh, what is now the role of the law? How do we use it correctly? Isn't it supposed to bring joy and, and blessing? Um, to some extent, yes. To some extent, Yes. We have to be extremely careful in how we use the law now. It's not to get any kind of righteousness. This is now, these are now guidelines that say, hey, if you want to love Jesus because of what he's done for you, here's how you can do it. Or, here's wisdom for how God's world works and what kind of things are poisonous and, killing, and are killing you. Let's avoid those things for your own joy and happiness and life. But, I would equate it to, to living in a marriage. All right, there are things that you, you're called not to do in a marriage. Now, you don't say, like, oh, like, what is the... How can I make sure that my marriage is... How do I keep this relationship? How do I keep my standing here? No, the, the rules are there to help you to love your spouse and to enjoy the marriage... To live in relationship well. They don't form the relationship. They don't maintain the relationship. You are married. You are united to one another. That's a relationship with God. Now we'll get in more into that. Lisa, that's a great question. We're going to be careful with the law. Uh, we'll not get into that. <laughs> Denise. God made war. Uh, so last week we talked about how we are at war with God and that in our sin, we, we declared ourselves to be enemies of God. And then I said that basically God, God warred against Jesus, that he, he condemned him in our place, that instead Jesus became the enemy when we should have been the enemy. And he poured out his wrath upon Jesus Put the pile of sin that was ours upon him. Did that answer your question, Denise? Yeah, Paul. I'm glad that Lisa asked her question because at one point I was waiting for the bus. Okay. Okay. But I'm glad you said that the law is now there to enrich our relationship right. With God. right. The thing I want to make sure we do is when we say concerning salvation, I want to put a full stop there, period, and say the law has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. Full period. And then we say, hey, want to love Jesus? Uh... If you want to do these things, do them. Now, the hope is that the gospel would be real to us, so we'd want to, but we don't have to. There's nothing, ha- it has nothing to do with salvation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? Yes. Yes, they will. They'll come, in, yeah, they'll come into play, absolutely. At the end of chapter two, we get into those kind of words. Yeah, for sure. As Presbyterian as good Presbyterians shit. As people who read the Bible need to know those words because he talks about them, yes. <laughs> Everyone needs to know those words, yeah. Uh, Randall. Um, so you had talked about how if somebody comes up to you and says, I don't think you're living the Christian life, that you know you should ignore them, you know, that sort of thing. How do you and I, I totally get where you're coming from with that, within the context of these these particular verses. Right. How do you how do you interact those with the verses that talk about iron sharpening iron and building each other up in love? And and, and how does that one anothering quote unquote Christian phrase right. play out in that context? Because if you take what you said alone and stand alone, then it becomes a you're no longer really living in that Christian community of one anothering right, right, kind right. of a, a, a standing a monolith on your own. Right. So how do you Okay, yeah. Uh, this relates to Lisa's question. So how does, if someone comes to you and says, like, it doesn't seem like you're living the Christian life, um, how, do you, how are you supposed to respond to that? And that's where you have to be careful how they're using the law. Are they using a law as, oh, wait, I don't, I don't think you're doing enough to be a Christian, or I think your sin is, is nullifying the grace of Jesus. Like, no, that will never happen. That doesn't happen. If they're saying, Randy, I think for your joy, you need to do this and this, like, or if you want to give glory to Jesus, I think this aspect of your life isn't doing that, it's a very different conversation. That's where, in reality, if they said, like, hey, circumcision is cool, if you want to do it, you can, but you don't have to, I don't think Paul, Paul wouldn't be having the same discussion, because then it's... It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for their, sanctifi- their, for their justification. It doesn't matter for their salvation. It's just like, oh, if you want to do it, you can. And Paul even has certain people get circumcised so that they can do evangelism better. That's where the, it gets into the heart, and it gets into real deep things. Right, because conversely, they might say, if you want to do a circumcision or not, that's great. It's groovy, you know, going down that line. But if, if they back it up a little and they say, you, nothing about your life reflects that you even believe that Jesus died. That's an appropriate conversation to have. That's not a Judaizer conversation. That's a... It's it's weird you don't want to love Jesus, yeah, because that shows that you don't really understand the gospel. Come on. Yeah. For sure. I completely lost his comment when he said circumcision was rude. You know what? We'll let that one lie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any other questions? All right. Let's pray. Father, um, we ask that we would not put a, a but at the end of the gospel, that it's nothing but Jesus, but you need to do something else, or nothing but Jesus, but let's, let's, let's try harder and prove, that, prove this. But Father, we ask that nothing but Jesus would truly be nothing but Jesus, that that is what saves us. Father, would you protect us from picking up any aspect of the law? Father, would you, would you condemn the lies that make us feel guilty and ashamed, that keep us from living in the joy of the gospel? Father, we ask that, that we would be astonished by the gospel of Jesus, because it, it is that it's astonishing. And it creates a whole new way of life and a whole new relationship with you. Father, would it give us a great love for Jesus, that he would do these things for us. Father, show us the things that are are still slavery to the law in our lives. And give us a heart that loves Jesus, we pray in his name.